We continue our series on Galatians. This is our second week as we study the book of Galatians, Standing on Grace. Good morning to everyone here present. Amen. Good to see each of your faces. Good to be together praising and worshiping the Lord. And good morning to you watching us online. Those of you listening to this message, it's good to have you connecting with us as well. Amen. It is good to be together around the Word of God, around worshiping the Lord. Well, today is part two of the series. We're in our second week on Galatians and uh, part two today is called, Are You Okay With God? Question mark. Are you okay with God? And from ancient times, people have been asking this question. Are we okay with God? Is God pleased with me? Am I going to spend eternity with God after I die? And the basic question that we are really asking and that we really have inside us is this. Is what I am doing good enough for God? Is my life that I'm living, the things I'm doing, the things I'm pursuing, okay with God? Is that enough? Huh? What do we need to do? To be okay with God. And that has been man's eternal question. And that's where religion comes in. And all the religions of the world are centered on this. What must you do to be okay with God? And so the religions of this world give you lists and lists and lists of things that you must do. Rituals you must keep. Things you must wear that you must use. And, and, and. So that you can be okay with God. And the book of the Galatians comes to us to answer us from a Jesus perspective, from a biblical basis, from God's perspective, how can we be right with God? Now, folks, as you've noticed, we're not doing a verse-by-verse study on Galatians. That is why I invited you to read the, the book of Galatians this past week. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking who did it and who didn't do it. That's between you and the Lord. But I do trust that the majority of you at least read a few chapters of Galatians. But I encourage you to go and read the book. And even if you read it last week, read it again. Use this time that you're studying studying, uh, Galatians to kind of dive into the book and get to understand it. And if you read the book, you, you might have been... found it like, you know, some parts very interesting and it made sense to you. Other parts were like, what are we talking about here? You, you read about the Judaism and, and circumcision and legalism and laws, and you're saying, what is all this? How does all that have to do with me? And, and as this study progresses, you will understand and, and, and see that all that has everything to do with us today. And the same battles that they were having 2,000 years ago in Galatia, we are still having today. And we need to have our minds renewed to the Word of God. Last week's introduction, we saw how passionate Paul is in this letter. He is both angry and frustrated. (laughs) Imagine an angry Paul, all right? And frustrated Paul. And uh, he's angry because some false teachers are coming to the church as he founded, and they are teaching that you need to add the law to your faith. 
They were Jewish teachers. And they come into these new churches full, full of Gentiles. Now the word Gentiles means any nation that is not Jewish. Okay, so if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. The Greeks, the Romans, the, the Gauls, and everybody else, they were all Gentiles. And so these Jewish teachers came into the church and said, Hey, you believe in Jesus? Great. But now, if you want to be complete in your religion, if you want to please God, if you want to be okay with God, you've got to add some things. Men, first thing, you guys must be circumcised if you are not circumcised. <laughs> and then you've got to add other laws. You've got to do the things that Moses told us to do. Okay? That's what they were doing. They also seem to have been saying that Paul wasn't really a genuine apostle. You know, like Peter and the other guys, they were with Jesus. They were with him. Paul wasn't. He is a lot lamiki. He came out later. You know, he's not a genuine. And so they seem to have been spreading that. And we gather this from the way that Paul writes this letter. Paul is also frustrated because the believers so quickly began to follow these false teachers. Huh? Men began to get circumcised. People began to start observing Jewish laws and Jewish rituals. Yeah. So Paul was really frustrated because of that. So Paul makes a strong case about his authority as an apostle and the fact that the gospel he preaches is the same one that Jesus taught. It's the same one that Peter and the other apostles are teaching. He defends that position. And Paul spends some time in chapters 1 and 2 telling the story of his calling and some experiences he had as an apostle. And so if you look a little bit at chapter, at chapter 1, we, we, we see that he says, man, this gospel was given to me by Jesus himself. He didn't go and learn it from Peter and the other guys. He didn't sit at the feet of the apostles learning the gospel. Jesus himself revealed it to him. And you know the story, all right? And Paul was a zealous Jew. He was faithful. Listen, he says himself in this book, he says he was faithful to the traditions of his forefathers. He was a staunch Pharisee. Okay? And he practiced everything he could about the law. He was the most advanced student amongst his peers. The guys of his age, nobody could beat him. He was tops. And his zeal, in his zeal, he persecuted the followers of Jesus and he tried to destroy the church. That's who this man was. If you're a Christian and you heard about Paul, it was like hearing, oh, he has a terrorist coming. He's going to wipe us out. Because that's how ruthless he was. How zealous he was to keep the purity of the Judaic religion and customs. But <laughs> when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, everything changed. He did not delay in his decision. He quickly became so convinced and convicted because this is Jesus himself revealing himself to him. He could not argue against that. And he quickly embraced the faith. And also, he didn't run back to Jerusalem to go and gather information from the apostles. No. He went away to Arabia and then back to Damascus. And during this time, Jesus revealed himself to him. Jesus taught him. He got the revelation of the gospel. And of course, being a man who knew the Hebrew scriptures, he knew the Old Testament well. It, it was quick for him. Once, once Jesus revealed himself, he quickly began to put things together and realize, hey, he is indeed the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. And Paul became as zealous 
about the gospel as he had been about Judaism. And he began to preach the gospel there in that area of Damascus. That's probably where he began to preach. And he mentions all this to show that he did not get his commission from the apostles, from men, but from Jesus himself. Listen, just like Jesus himself chose the 12, his 12 followers, what you call the 12 disciples who became then apostles. Jesus himself called each one of them individually and personally. Then you remember, Judas betrayed Jesus and he hung himself, he died. So from 12, they came down to 11. All right? Many scholars consider Paul to be the 12th apostle. Now, I know, if you've been reading in Acts, you hear that Peter said, guys, we are 11, we need to choose one more. Let's choose one of the men that were with Jesus. And he gave a bunch of qualifications. And they chose one more to become the 12th apostle, Matthias. The problem is, after that election, you never hear of him again. Now, no doubt, he did his part. No doubt, he served the Lord and, and he preached and he was part of the councils and everything else. But you don't hear much about Matthias. Whereas Paul... He was called by Jesus himself. Just like the other 11, Paul was called by Jesus himself and commissioned by Jesus himself. So he considers himself equal to all the others because he was. And so he spends time explaining this in chapter 1. Three years after his conversion, Paul finally makes his way to Jerusalem to meet with Peter. And after that, he went to Syria and Cilicia, which is the areas north of Jerusalem, going north towards Turkey. That's the area he stayed in. But down below Jerusalem, in the Judean area, people had never seen his face. But they began to hear about Paul, hear that the guy that was persecuting the church is now preaching the gospel, and they gave glory to God. And I'm sure they were very relieved, you know, because if Paul was still around, the persecution would continue. In chapter 2, we read that 14 years later, Paul returns to Jerusalem again. This time with Barnabas, a Jewish disciple, and Titus, a Greek convert. And Paul consults with the apostles because already at that time, some brothers were observing Paul's liberty... From the Lord. They, they, these Jewish brothers would, would go there to, to the areas where Paul was. And they observe and say, man, this is amazing. Paul has this liberty. He speaks nothing of the Mosaic law. He doesn't obey the law. He doesn't teach his followers, the, the, the Gentiles, to observe the law. He, and he himself, he's not keeping the law. This is strange. And they wanted to bring bondage to the new believers by bringing the Mosaic law back to them. These were now <laughs> Christian Jews. You must remember, it was a big shock. You know, when, when the gospel started being preached, when, when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached the gospel, it was Jewish people that listened and they embraced the gospel. But very soon, the gospel began to go to the Gentiles. Remember, Peter had that vision of, you know, the different unclean animals, and, and God said, hey, don't call what I made clean, unclean. So go and meet with this Italian chap who's calling you. And Paul and Peter discovered that the gospel and the Holy Spirit was also for the Gentiles. And as more Gentiles began to embrace the gospel, this became a problem for the Jewish guys because yeah, they are, they've observed the law, they've been faithful, now they're following Jesus. It's, it's a new thing for them. 
But in a way, they were still keeping some of the Jewish rules as Jews. They would still keep the Sabbath. They would still eat certain foods only. Now they had the way of doing things. But they were, but they believed in Jesus and followed Jesus. But the Gentiles were doing nothing of that. They just believed in Jesus and they praised him and, and they worshiped. It became a problem to these guys. And they began to feel, no man, these uncircumcised people must become circumcised because it's the circumcised people that are the people of God. And that is true because in the Old Testament, it was part of the law. Every male must be circumcised. That's how you become part of the covenant people of God. And so they want to bring this upon the Gentiles. And, and, and Paul comes and he discusses this with Peter and the apostles. Man, what is going on? And so, after hearing Paul, the apostles perceived that there was a grace in Paul's life for the Gentiles. They noted that Paul had been called to the uncircumcised people, whereas Peter had been called to the circumcised people, to the Jews. And so they affirmed Paul's calling and they encouraged him just to continue with what he was doing. Don't worry about these other guys. However, sometime later, Peter went to Antioch where Paul was. <laughs> and you read it as this encounter between Peter and Paul. Because when Peter arrived in Antioch, maybe because of his experience as well with the Italians, he would sit and he would eat with the Gentiles. Now, there's nothing in the law that says, in the Jewish law, that says that Jews and Gentiles can't eat together. But as a practice in those days, they did not eat together. <laughs> For obvious reasons. These Gentiles, they ate all sorts of things. Which the Jews did not. And so they didn't want to contaminate themselves by sitting at the table and these guys have lacquer steaks and pork and, ah, you know, and funny cookies. No, no, no. So they, 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 they kind of would sit separately, not to contaminate th that, that idea was still in them. But Peter, of course, you know, he comes there and he sits with Gentiles as in like a fellowship and he's eating with them until some Jewish brothers from Jerusalem arrive at the church as well. And all of a sudden Peter goes, uh oh. And so he stopped sitting and fellowshipping with the Gentile. When it was mealtime, he'd go and, and, and sit with the Jews. And so some of the other Jewish brothers from Antioch began to follow Peter's example, including Barnabas. And he, and he used to go there. And, and when Paul saw this, he flipped his letter again. And he confronted Peter. And he did it publicly, openly, in the church. And he, and he says there, okay, he confronted Peter publicly for his hypocrisy. And why did he do that? Why did he do it so openly? Why didn't he call Peter, uh, Peter says, hey brother. Why? Because public sin needs public correction. Private sin, private correction. Public sin, especially when this public sin is affecting the church, is destroying the church, is bringing confusion to the church, it must be dealt with publicly as well. And so Paul confronts Peter and says, Hey, you hypocrite. Huh? You yourself know that, you know, the gospel has set us free from all these things. You've sat and you've eaten with the Gentiles. Now your buddies come here, yeah? and because you, you don't want to offend them, or because you're embarrassed, whatever, now you separate yourself, you hypocrite. Ouch. That's Peter, the oldest apostle, the senior apostle, a respected apostle. But Paul confronts him publicly. Peter, as the older, more respected apostle, was wrong. 
Paul the younger <laughs> does not hold back on correcting Peter. Peter should know better. Especially because of the vision that he had. And so, he does this. Now, Paul does not tell us the outcome of that correction. We don't know what happened there. However, in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter refers to Paul's letters, to his writings. And Peter says that his letters are scripture. He considers Paul's writing scripture. In other words, inspired by God with divine authority. And this indicates the respect that Peter had for Paul. So it seems that Peter accepted the, 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 the admonition, you know, the exhortation, and he kind of came right and, and things moved on uh, from there. And so Paul takes time to tell the Galatians all this, this whole story. And in fact, you find in those first parts of, of Galatians, chapter 1 and 2, you, you find the facts about Paul's life that are not in the book of Acts. And, and no letter does Paul talk so much about himself as he does in this letter. He reveals to us exactly what happened after his conversion. What, what the, the steps he went through. And he does all this to make the following point. That our relationship with God, listen, our relationship with God is not based on what we do, but in whom we believe. Are you okay with God? Well, it depends. Are you basing your okay with God on what you do or in whom you believe? And this is not a light question. You try this week. Go to a couple of colleagues and ask them that question. Are you okay with God? Why or why not? You might be surprised at the answers you're going to get. Some of them will tell you, I don't know. Only God knows. I've, hey, I'm trying my best, man. I haven't killed anyone yet. Huh? You see, our relationship with God is not based on what we do, but in whom we believe. Because in whom we believe will affect everything in our lives. What you believe in affects your behavior, affects your worldview, affects everything that you do. You see how it goes? And if we believe in Jesus, the Bible says that justifies us. Now, the word justified is actually a legal term. It's a legal term. Justified is the opposite of condemned. Someone goes before a, a court of law to be tried. He's got two options. He's going to be justified. In other words, released, set free because he's not guilty. Or he's going to be condemned because he's guilty. And that's what Paul is telling us. Hey, before God, same thing. You're either guilty or you're not. You're either justified or condemned. If you're justified, you're okay with God. If you're condemned, you're not okay with God. Not a good place to be in. And so there is this invitation from Jesus to all of us to be okay with God by believing in Him. Huh? When we stand before God, we are either justified or we are condemned. Now, we're going to read now verses 15 to 21 of chapter 2. And by the way, some scholars are of the opinion that these verses that you're going to read now formed part of that confrontation that Paul had with Peter. 
I mean, if you, if you read from verse 14, you see that, that Paul begins to tell about that. And, 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 and he says, when I saw that they were, you know, not straightforward about the truth, he said, I said to Peter before them all, before the whole church, I said to Peter, if you, Peter, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? Question mark. And then verse 13 follows. So it seems to be a continuation of what he was talking to Peter. So as we read this now, let's understand. This seems to have been part of the conversation Paul had with Peter. So here we go. Verse 15. We, of chapter 2, we who are Jews by nature and not, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Listen, he says, we who are Jews by nature, in other words, we who are Jews by birth, we were born into the Jewish culture. Remember, from the Jewish perspective, there are only two groups of people on earth, Jews and non-Jews. And there is a point to that, because remember, God raised up the Jewish people to be a nation through which he would show his power to the world. And he did. He did great things to the nation of Israel. And all the nations around Israel, all the pagan nations, they knew, man, these guys, they got something special. That God of theirs is something else. As long as they obey their God, we're in trouble. But if we can get them to disobey their God, then everything is okay. Because that's what happened. They would obey God and things would go well with them and God would protect them and just make sure no, nobody got, you know, hit them. But the minute they disobeyed God, they came out of fellowship, God's protection was lifted, and bang, they got, they got all sorts of problems. And so, out of that nation, you, you could say that the Jewish people, they were privileged, and they were. Okay? They were privileged to be born as a Jew because, you see, every nation had a problem with this, with God and all the gods. They all knew we have to do something to appease the gods, appease God or something. But the Jewish people, they knew what to do. First of all, they had the law. They knew what was right and what was wrong. So they knew what they had to do to be okay with God. But of course, as you know, nobody can keep all the law. So what happens when you break a few rules? Well, they had the sacrifices in place. God had given them a whole system. When you, when you don't keep the law, it's okay. You bring a sacrifice and it is offered. And so temporarily, your sins are covered. Temporarily, because they had to keep on bringing this sacrifice every single year. They had to come again. Oh, God, forgive us for the sins of this past year. And it was a, but they had a system. And so if you were lucky enough to be born Jewish, first of all, you knew what God's will was. And number two, you had a system to be okay with God by following the ritual, the sacrifice, and so on. But the Gentiles, he says the Gentiles, the Gentiles, where's this verse? The Gentiles, they... They, they're not, they're not sinners of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were hopeless. They had nothing. But now, when they fail to keep the law, they could still have a way out. So Paul states that even as Jews, they were not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He's making this very clear. He says, no flesh shall be justified by the works of the law. You know why? Because no flesh 
No flesh, meaning nobody, no Jew. I don't care how good a Pharisee you are. No Jew can keep all the laws. And what the problem is, if you fail one law, you fail them all. God didn't sit with this at the end of the year. Okay, come. All right, we've got now 613 laws. How many did you keep? 500? Hey, not bad, man. I think I'll give you a pass. No. The rule is this. You keep all the laws or you fail. It is like a a string of pearls, you know. When that string breaks, one doesn't fall off. It's everything just runs out. Imagine you're driving your car as you're on your way home today. And you're so excited about the message that you forget and you, you put your foot on a bit too much and you go over a speed trap and, and they stop you. You went 15 kilometers over the speed limit. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Oh, come on, come on, man, come on. It's a Sunday. Of all days, you should be keeping the roads on a Sunday, okay? You've got over the speed limit. And then you argue with the cop. Say, sir, I'm very sorry. Uh, yeah, okay, I did go over the speed limit. But you know what? So check me out. My seatbelt is on. I've got my seatbelt. Look at my license. It's paid up. It's current. Check my car. It's roadworthy. My brakes work. My lights work. Come on. I fulfilled all these laws. Can't you let me go on, on this one? He's going to say, sir, you have broken this law. So you are guilty. Oh, come on. I keep all the other laws. And because I break this little law, it was even safe. There's nobody on the road. They didn't do anybody any harm. That's how the law works, guys. When you break the law, you are guilty. I don't care how good you be in all the other areas. You break one law, you are guilty. And that's how the Jewish law system worked. And that's why nobody could ever be just. Have you tried keeping the Ten Commandments for a whole week? What do you mean, Pastor? Do you mean you can't keep the Ten Commandments for a whole You try. Oh, it's easy, is it? Remember that when Jesus came along, He made the Ten Commandments even more restricted. He said, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look with lust on another woman, you have already committed adultery. <gasps> It says, thou shalt not kill. But if in your mind you hate somebody, you've committed a murder. Oh my goodness, I'm guilty of that one. Because sometimes on the road. So I know, I can't keep the Ten Commandments Jesus' way for a whole week. So I need help. Because if I break one, I'm guilty of them all. And therefore, I am not okay with God. If... I'm going to live under the law. I do my best to live the right way. And that's the way we all should do. But if I'm going to base my okay with God on that, I've got a problem and so do you. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's saying here. Alright? You cannot please God and be okay with God if you base your justification on obeying the law. You cannot. It's got to be. And so he says in verse 17, But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves 
also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which are destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live for God. You see, there, there were then and there are now those who criticize the idea of justified by faith. You mean, you tell me, just because you believe in Jesus, you think you're okay now? Huh? Huh? That's because you believe in Christ, because you go to church, and now you think you're okay with God. You think you're better than me now, right? Because you believe in Jesus. And so many people think that by doing this, and, and of course, and people are watching you, and you say, ah, oh, I believe, I'm saved, I'm saved. But they're watching you, and they, and they watch when you do something you shouldn't. Because I, I found out that the unbelievers know more about the Bible than the believers. It's amazing. They watch the Christians. And when the Christian does something wrong, they come. Doesn't the Bible say that, 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 that? So why are you doing that? I say, my goodness, I never knew you were a Bible scholar, man. They seem to know more about the Bible. And they're watching us. And they say, you see, you see, you see, you see. Yeah. So is Christ a minister of sin now? Is Christ allowing for sin? That's what Paul is asking over here. All right? And that's the, the criticism people have then. And they still have now. Is therefore Christ a minister of sin? Has now Christ taken the lower way completely so that you can do everything you want? Certainly not, he says. But then he says, for if I build again the things which are destroyed, in other words, if I've stopped living under the law, but now I go back and I want to live under the law again, what does he say? I make myself a transgressor. Because if I'm going to live under the law and base my justification in the law, I've already failed because you and I know that you and I can't keep all the law all the time. And so we, we, we failed already because I'm going to be found guilty sooner or later, probably sooner than later. Okay? And so Paul is, is, is arguing this point here. All right? And he says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. You see, the law came to show us. Ah, I can't put this mildly. The law came to show us how useless we are at doing the right stuff. If there is no law, you can do whatever you want. But when there is a law, it puts boundaries, it puts limits. And therefore, it constrains what you've got to do. But you know human nature... You know, the, the, the sign with the red button and says, don't push the button. And what do we do? I wonder what happens. If I... <laughs> That's who we are. And therefore, there's no way that law is going to save you. So the law brings death to me. But that means then, uh, the law brings death that I might live to God. You see, if Christ is my source, if my faith is in Christ, I, the law kills me and I'm dead to the law, but I'm alive to God. And that's what he's trying to bring. And then we, we, we get, we, we get the, the, this beautiful picture coming here. You know, Jesus died to break the power of the law over us. We cannot get back into bondage. But how can it, we be okay with God by faith in Christ? And check this out. Verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. 
For if righteousness comes through the law, check this out. For if righteousness, okay, justification, being okay with God, if being okay with God comes through the law, check this out, then Christ died in vain. That's heavy, guys. If I am going to start trying to impress God and be okay with God by the things I do, then I've just declared that Jesus died in vain. All his suffering, all his life, leaving heaven, coming to earth, becoming flesh, putting up with the limitations of being flesh, and then putting up with that death which he had to die because justice had to be made. There can be no redemption of sin, no forgiveness of sin, unless there is blood shed. Somebody had to pay the price for the sin. Somebody had to make right what was wrong. And Jesus did that on your behalf and my behalf. But if I'm going to cling to the law, then I'm saying, hey, Christ died in vain. Wow. If someone could be saved by what they do, then Jesus wouldn't have to, to die. Hmm? So what happens when you put our faith in Him? It's like we enter a, a new reality or, or an alternative reality, okay? Become the theme of many movies, this alternative reality, you know. Yeah. But in a way, the Christian life is an alternative reality. You're in this world, right? You're still breathing, you gotta get up, you gotta go, gotta work and blah, blah, blah. But you live in a different world. You are a citizen of a different realm. You are here, but you're like an alien on planet Earth. All right? Why? Because Christ is in you. He is in you. Amen? When you place your faith in Christ, your life is hidden in His life. You have been crucified with Christ. You identify with Christ's death and resurrection. Paul says, it is no longer I who live. But it is now Christ who lives in me. All right? That's what it means to live in faith. When you put your trust in Christ, His Spirit comes to live in you. Amen? And so He says, The life which I now live in the flesh, on this earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Why did Jesus leave heaven? Why did He come to earth? Why did he submit himself to the constraints and limitations of a human being? Why did he die the death that he died? You know why? Because he loved you. Father God loved you. And so this whole plan was put into action so that we could be in back in relationship with him again. His love drove this. All right? He loved us. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, does that mean that if you believe in Jesus, that is, if you believe that he died for you, you can do whatever your flesh desires? No. Not at all. And so Paul says in verse 21, 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. Amen? In other words, I will do nothing that will hamper the grace of God in my life. Anything that would render it useless. I'm not going to live in such a way that people look at me and say, hey, there's no grace upon that man's life. 
The grace of God. I will not set aside the grace of God. In other words, I will not be imprisoned by legalism. Thinking that I have to add works to my faith so that I can be saved. No. I will not. Also, I will not live a, a loose, immoral life. Being a slave to the desires of my flesh. And those are the kind of two extremes which people tend to go into. Either heavy under the law. Man, you want to please God? You've got to dress like this. You can't eat this food. You've got to come to church so many times. You've got, you've got, you've got, you've got, you've got, you've got. A whole bunch of laws. That's legalism. That does not save you. You don't get saved because you obey that. The other extreme is flesh, carnality, licentiousness. I can do whatever I want. Jesus died for me, so it's okay. I'm okay. See, those two are extremes. And as we go further in this study of Galatians in the following weeks, Paul will speak more about these extremes. And we're going to get to talk about that. He's going to speak more about the danger of bondage to the law and the danger of slavery to the flesh. And about the freedom in the spirit. Because in the middle here, there is this thing called freedom in the spirit. And that's what God wants us to be. You see, in Christ, we are free to choose not to sin. When you're in the bondage of the Lord or bondage of the flesh, you don't have much choice. Because these things weigh on you. They force you. They push you. But when you're in Christ... In the spirit, you've got the freedom to choose not to sin. Hallelujah. Amen. And so I encourage you to go and read the book of Galatians again. Even if you've read it before, go and read it again. All right. As I say, use this time to get familiar with that book and, and, and dig in a bit more. So, are you okay with God? Listen, if you died today eh, and you arrived at the gates of heaven and they asked you, hey, why should we let you into heaven? How would you justify going into the uh, presence of God? What would you tell them? Would you say, well, you know what? Back on earth, I did my best. Eh? Yeah, I did my best. Or would you say, man, I, I really tried to be good. So can I go in? You, you might even say, you know what? I was not as bad as those, you know, those people. We all know those people, you know. Oh, I was not as bad as those people. So can I come in, please, please, please? The religions of this world base your right standing with God on what you do. On the laws you keep. On the rituals and the sacrifices you make. And all that counters points. And then at the end of your life... God looks at your life. He looks at the good points and the bad points. If you've got more good points than bad points, then you're okay. You can come in. What does the Bible say? What, is, what are we learning here from, from Galatians? Are these answers sufficient? Is it okay to say that I did my best? I tried to be good. I'm not as bad as the other guys. Well, how would you answer that question? Why should I allow you into heaven? Yeah. You know what the right answer is? The right answer is, hey, I don't have any good reason to allow me to go into heaven. The only reason I have 
to be allowed into God's presence is this. I believed in Jesus. I believed in Jesus. And you know that when I say I believed in Jesus, it wasn't just something I said on my lips. To believe means to wholeheartedly trust in and follow. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a bunch of codes that you follow. Christianity is a relationship. Jesus wants to have a friendship with us. The Holy Spirit is with us today so that we can talk, we we can communicate. So think about this. In your daily challenges of life, your daily challenges and decisions, are your decisions guided and clarified by the faith that you have in Jesus? By your conversations with Jesus? By what you know of His Word? Or do you most of the time just, just go it alone? Maybe a little prayer now and then, but you just, you just do what you think is right without consulting the Lord or Scripture. How do you live your life during the week? On your own or with the Lord? I, I pray that all of us will be able to answer and say, yes, I know I've got my weaknesses, but my heart is with Jesus. I'm walking in friendship with him, in relationship with me, with him. And slowly but surely, he's changing my life. We, we sang about it today, guys. This last song we, we, we sang, <laughs> it could be a summary of Galatians. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Do you take time every day? Lord, here's my heart. Talk to me. Tell me what, what, is, what is your truth, Lord. Tell me what is true. Because there is no more truth in this world. Truth is dead. The world today says, hey, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. So live your life and I'll live mine. But the word of God is true. Truth, in fact, is not a thing. It's a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Not a truth. The truth and the life. No one is okay with God except through me. And you say, I am found, I am yours, I am loved, I am made pure. What? How can you say a thing like that? I know you, man. (laughs) But why do we sing this? Why do we declare this? I am loved, I am pure, I have life, I can breathe, I am healed, I am free. You know why we can sing this? Because we have faith in Jesus. And yes, we may face situations, we may face challenges, we may face problems. Sometimes we go through, ah, situations. Sometimes it's a long period, sometimes a short period. We go through sickness, disease, and all sorts of stuff. But in the middle of that, we know we have hope. In the middle of that, we can breathe because we know that God is with us. I'm going somewhere. And when this life is over, I've got eternal life because I'm okay with God. Amen. Praise God. And I'm okay with God because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Not in my works or how good I am. Hallelujah. And I pray that this may be a truth in all of our hearts. I pray that this study of Galatians will continue to clarify things to you. And encourage you. And affirm your faith in Christ. And if there is any residue 
of legalism in you or carnality in you, I pray that as you go on with the study, that the Spirit of God will reveal that and remove that from our lives so that we can live in the freedom of the Spirit of God. Amen? Come, let's stand up and let's close in prayer. Father God, here we are, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's our hearts. I pray, Father, everyone here, everyone online, everyone listening, Lord. Our hearts are before you. Come and speak to us, Lord. Help us never to think that our good deeds are going to impress you and cause you to accept us. Help us to understand your great love for us. The fact that you have already loved us. You have already accepted us. You have already paid the price for all our sins. And all we need to do is surrender to your love, Lord. And put our faith in you to be okay with you, Lord. Thank you for my many brothers and sisters who are on this journey with us and who are okay with you, Lord. But Lord, if there is anyone online or here present, Lord, that feels they're not okay with you, help them right now, today, Lord, right where they are, to surrender to Jesus. Give them a revelation, Lord, as well, of the fact that Jesus, you died for them to pay the full price of all their sins. That all they have to do is come to you. And you will begin that process of changing their hearts. But from the moment they come to you, Lord, they are okay with God. Not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done for them, for each one of us. So we thank you, Lord, for your word today. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us as we continue to grow in the Lord, in the knowledge of His Word, and in the grace of God. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday for the next episode. Amen. God bless you.